Hey, good morning. It's wonderful to have you with us today. It is uh, Columbus Day weekend. I, I always love these, these weekends when we get the chance to honor and celebrate those who were willing to be absolutely bold and courageous to do what most of us would not do today. I mean, the idea of just getting in a ship and saying, let's see where this lands, and, and, and to be willing to do that. I don't know how you vacation, but typically I have an itinerary, maybe a three-ring binder, whatever it may be, with all the details, all the plans. I know where every stop is and everything else, and to just venture out like that. got to see this past week a, a statue of Lewis and Clark, and I was just like, wow, these people who had that kind of bravery and courage, I just... I commend them, and I'm, and I'm grateful for them. I'm grateful that we get to live where we do and worship the way we do because of people who are bold and courageous. So good to see you today. The thing that's very, very weird this morning, it's probably the first time in, in my memory, I have, I have none of my uh, Brian, Shelley, or Nate at church today. So kind of strange. Brian is in Washington with a group of uh, junior hires. Shelley is off in, at the Grand Canyon with a friend. Nate's doing his Abilene thing, but Riley's here, so, so I'm not without children today. It's just, what a, what a wild and unusual day. And as got a chance to hear different people, I, I was amazed at the number of people are traveling somewhere today. So I suspect we might have a little bit more of a pop today on the video, as so many of you are, are gone out enjoying a, enjoying a long weekend. So let me, let's just go over a few of the things that came to you yesterday in the, in the weekend update. There were some really important events coming up very, very soon, like this coming Friday. Deb Stroman has or, or arranged for us a, a blood drive that will be taking place right here in the parking lot. And so uh, they're going to be using that, the blood mobile. We'd encourage you to go ahead and get signed up uh, for a slot. I looked last night to see, I think we're probably about a, a third full right now in terms of the slots that are available. So if you are uh, able to do that, and I know not everybody can. I, I know for some whether it's weight issues, blood, blood pressure issues, whatever, there are things that, that cause some of us to not be able to donate, but, but if you can, uh, make sure to take advantage of that opportunity. And we told you last week about this new, uh, the new journey group that's starting, Pilates group, so if you've been looking to kind of get a little bit of motion going, if you've never done Pilates, it's, uh, I think when you look at it, you go, that's exercise, really? And then you do it, and you go, that's exercise, really? Holy cow. So a uh, great opportunity to do some, do some working out together. And to keep you just as healthy as possible, we're asking you to go buy some Oberweiss milk and drink it all up. Get the whole milk. Really get your veins and arteries just kind of nice and cloggy. Enjoy that. Clean out the bottle and then bring it to us. We're going to be using it for an event coming up soon. And so if you can do that, uh, the drop-off date is, is given for you there. And then just that reminder that the, the event for the ladies is coming very, very soon. The space is going to be limited. Uh, we, we're going to have to uh, cut that off pretty soon just in light of ordering. And if you've been ordering anything these days, you know that it's a bit of a challenge to get, get things and uh, get them in time. So uh, if you've not signed up and you're planning to sign up, if you're planning to big, bring a friend, make sure you get registered for that just as soon as you can. And finally, that Fall Family Fest is coming up really soon as well. Let's take some time to talk to God this morning. Father in heaven, we are incredibly grateful uh, for the adventuresome spirit you've given some to go places and do things that the rest of us just kind of shake our heads and say, what are you thinking? What in the world are you thinking? 
I pray that you will help us to, to see with, with honor and respect those who, are, those who are brave and courageous, and that we would catch some of that brave and courageous spirit as well. I'm thankful for the brave and courageous people in your word, for people like, like David who was willing to face down a giant when the rest of the army was saying, no way. So many others in the word of God, the apostle Paul, who would walk into a village knowing full well he was going to be beaten and imprisoned. How many of us would speak the gospel boldly and plainly if we had any thought whatsoever that we might be hurt for the cause of Christ? I thank you for the models and examples you give us of faith, and I pray that as we live out our own days in this place, in the world that we exist right now, you will help us to be bold and courageous in the face of fearful circumstances. Help us not to cower, help us not to back down, not just because we're, we're somehow uh, negligent or ignorant toward, toward the... Um, toward the challenges around us, but with the recognition that if God is for us, who can be against us? We, we have the Lord God Almighty on our side, and we're so, we're so grateful. We're so grateful for your, for your strong presence with us. We pray today for all of our friends who are enjoying uh, different places and different spaces today, traveling on a, on a long holiday weekend. I pray that you'll give them the, the rest they're looking for. And, and for those of us who are here, just having that, that extra day to take some time off and to relax, I, I'm grateful that you build into our lives and into our, and into our systems those opportunities to just have a little bit of downtime, a little bit of rest, to be refreshed in body and soul so that we can go out and work for you more courageously and boldly. Uh, than we did before. So thank you so much for your word and the opportunity to look at it today. Uh, we love you. We thank you so much for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. So said last week that yesterday was a big birthday for us, celebrated 140 years together, and you don't get to 140 years by accident. There's a degree of intentionality, a degree of purpose. There's a, there is truly a degree of living out the God-given purpose that he has given us uh, as a church. And so we thought this was a good season to take some time to, to step away and look at how does church work? What is it all about? Some of you have come to us uh, during, the, during the pandemic. You've called Southfield home now, and you're, you're still kind of trying to figure out what's this church all about? What's important to this church? How does this church operate? And so we thought it would be really good to just walk through the basics of what, it, what is our purpose as a church? What, what are we all about? How do we function as a church? What's the process that, that we use in order to see that purpose realized? And then, and then what's the unique personality of this church? Because I think there are a lot of churches, as you see, we, you know, we talk about the Great Commission, a lot of churches are carrying out the Great Commission. A lot of churches are, are doing their best to, to, carry, to fulfill the process of, of Acts chapter 6, but Acts chapter 2, but here's what's, what's unique and beautiful is that each church has a unique personality. Just like each person and each family has a unique personality, we have a unique personality, and I think that personality is given to us to meet the need of the hour, the place God has put us, the time God has put us, everything about this moment, God has given us a personality that matches the moment. And so uh, you remember last week, <clears throat> We were talking about the purpose that, for which God placed us on this earth. And, and what I love is that we didn't have to go into a room. We didn't have to sit around a table and say, let's invent a great purpose statement as a church. 
God gave it to us. Jesus, as, he's, as his feet are, are ready to lift off the ground and, and head to heaven, he says to his church, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. He says, I'm going to be with you always, even at the end of the age. And in light of all that, I want you to be going along the way all the time, wherever you are, just living out the gospel, baptizing people, bringing them into relationship with God, and then teaching them. Not just teaching them facts, not just teaching them ideas or theology, but teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. So he lays out with clarity, our purpose as a church is about making disciples. You're going to drive up and down the street and you're going to see churches advertising the activities going on on the inside. They're into this, they're into that event, whatever it may be. They have their annual thing that they do, and that's what they become known for. I hope that we are always known for being a church that is into mass discipleship. We're into making sure that over and over again, if a person decides to come and be a part of our church in time, they will find that they've grown to be more like Jesus. As we said, Jesus lays out how that takes place. It's about going along the way. As we're going along the way, we make disciples. So it's not, it's not about destination or an event, but literally, wherever you're going to work, wherever you're going to school, wherever your neighborhood is, whatever you're doing along the way, you get the privilege of living out the gospel in front of other people, letting them see Jesus on full display, baptizing them. That I, that's the idea of, of bringing people into the family of God. And baptism ultimately is the evidence that this person is saying, yes, I'm a fully devoted follower of Jesus. And then I love that it says teaching, not just teaching, but teaching to obey. That we're helping people to move to a place, not just of information, not just, hey, I know more than I did before. It's not enough to be biblically well-informed. We need to be transformed. We need to be changed, constantly taking what we've learned and growing into what we learn, seeing transformation take place in the life of a Christ follower. That's what it looks like to make a disciple. And that's how Jesus says we're to do it. Very, very simple. He didn't leave us volumes and volumes and volumes and all these details. He says, here are these three things. Just drill them and drill them and drill them. Do them over and over and over again. And you'll see disciples coming to Jesus. One of the things... Kim and I were talking about this past week, is the idea that while Jesus did take the time to do things like preach the Sermon on the Mount and do things like have those great events where there's a feeding of 5,000, most of his time is spent with 12 people and really three among the 12. And you look at that and it just seems so incredibly inefficient. Why didn't he have a program whereby he could be touching thousands of people all the time? There was a recognition on the part of Christ that discipleship often takes place one-on-one, one-on-two, one-on-three, smaller group. And so I want to encourage you, as much as you're part of this, get into the smaller groups. Get into the smaller relationships. Spend time one-on-one with each other, growing and challenging each other to become more like Jesus. So that's the purpose of the church. That's what we're all about. Now we move to the process. How do you see that happen? How does that, how does that work out among a body of people who are hoping to do their very best to please Jesus and live out the purpose? We find evidence of the purpose in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, not 27. Okay, you can't go backward. 42 to 47. Beautiful passage of Scripture. I love this passage of Scripture because what we have here is, is the church of Jesus Christ 
freshly birthed by the Holy Spirit. They've not had a chance to, to organize, form a committee, write a rule book, anything else. They don't have a history or a tradition. This is a brand new group of people saying, let's go. And what you see in them is enthusiasm and excitement and power. Just an incredible, beautiful expression of Christ in the world and the Holy Spirit on full display. We read that these people devoted themselves. There's this sense of they're really all in. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. It says every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Here it is. This is, this is a disciple-making machine. They're, they are reproducing fully devoted Christ followers. How did they do this? What was it all about? When I'm with a group of people talking about this passage, I ask them to, to just go ahead and underline or circle all the actions you see taking place in this passage. Give us every one. Just circle them all. And it's reflective of something that we did many years ago. I think it was probably 1997. A group of our leaders went to Norway. Not Norway, Norway. Norway, Illinois. We headed over to Norway, Illinois and, and, and went to a retreat center overnight to try to just again discern why did God place us here? And we took this very passage and did exactly what we just talked about. We said, go through and circle or underline every action you see taking place here because these are the actions of a disciple-making church. And so we did that, and we came up with a, with a long, long list. And then we said, okay, can we, can we take some of these and clump them? Can, can we boil them down to a simpler list that we can say, this is what a church is supposed to be doing, and we can be checking ourselves every once in a while and asking the question, are we really about the, the mission of making disciples or not? We came up with six. And with all six, they're guided or influenced by one key word. It's the second word of the paragraph. They devoted themselves. They devoted themselves to certain actions and to certain items. They were all in on it. They, to be devoted is to give all I have. Sadly, I think for a in a large part, the American church is a dabbling church. It's not a devoted church. It's, it's a church that says, I'll, I'll be there if I can. I'll do what I can if I can. The, the whole experience of Christ and Christ with other people is kind of a, it's a nice add-on. But for many of us, the word devotion would not be the word that describes our allegiance to Jesus. They're saying they were devoted. They were all in on everything they were doing. And because of that, you can see the tremendous power of the Spirit working through them. So what were they devoted to? What, what do you see as, as you work through this passage? Well, one thing we see, the first thing we see, is that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching that they would take the time to sit and listen to what it was that the apostles were teaching them on a regular basis. The next thing it says, they were devoted to, to fellowship. That fellowship was an important piece of the life of the body. Third thing it says, they were devoted to the breaking of bread. 
Breaking of bread, of course, being uh, the, the picture for the Lord's table, the Lord's supper. Bread and cup celebrating the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. They were devoted to this. Further, it says they were devoted to prayer. Right off the bat, that verse, verse, they're devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. All four, right there, first verse. Then from verses 43 on through 47, there's a whole list of activity going on. We have the apostles performing sign and wonders. They're, they're, just, they're using their spiritual gifts to the glory of God. The believers are holding everything they have in common. Some people are selling the things they have to make sure nobody among them has a need. It says, every day they continued to meet in the temple's courts. Do you see the devotion here? This wasn't a, this wasn't a one hour a week deal. They were to gather all the time. They're gathering together all the time. And it says they ate together in each other's homes. So here they are. They'd come together at one home and then another home, sharing life together, doing life together. All of these different activities going on here. Uh, the way we boil this down is they shared. They really shared life. They, they held life in common together. It wasn't an occasional see you see next week, that sort of thing. But there was a true sharing of relationship together all the time. And then I love at the end, it says they're praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So this isn't about what they were doing. This is about what God was doing. God was constantly adding to their number. The Lord is adding more and more people. As they lived out this disciple-making pattern, God continued to add more and more people to his family there in Jerusalem. These six activities, as we work these six activities, as we are devoted to these six things, this is the way disciple-making happens. Not just in ourselves, because this is the way we're formed as a disciple. It's also the way we go about helping to form other people into fully devoted Christ followers. So what we, what we did is we, we took these six words and we, we modified them a bit to be a little bit more you know, balanced and just whole, whole let's, let's, have a, let's have a word that we can remember, one that we can really, really hang on to. So for the word apostles' teaching, we, we broadened that a little bit because we're not just devoted to the apostles' teaching, we're devoted to the teaching of the word of God. And so for us, we're devoted to biblical teaching. Biblical teaching is very, very important. You come on a Sunday morning, and it's not like one out of four Sundays, Dennis will be talking about something out of the Bible. Every week, if our noses aren't in this book, we're wasting our time on a Sunday morning. We need to know what God has to say to us, not what Dennis has to say us or some other speaker. We need to know what, what God has to say us. And, and to be devoted to the Word of God is to say, I'm going to take the time to read and understand what the Word of God has to say, and then I'm going to allow it to transform my life. I'm going to allow it to change me. I'm not going to come to the Word of God and say, that doesn't make sense for our day or our time. I'm going to look at the Word of God and say, this is the truth, and we're going to choose to live out what it says that's what it means to be fully devoted to biblical teaching. Now, I would just hit one little sidebar here. Every once in a while in, in modern church, people will bemoan that, that not everybody carries Bibles to church anymore. Oh, that's one of those churches where people carry coffee cups instead of the Word of God. You should be carrying the Word of God to church. It's really, really important to some people. I grew up in that kind of church. 
They determined how healthy the church was by how many people were carrying a Bible, how many people were there for Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. That was the measure. They knew that they had fully devoted Christ followers if you were there on Wednesday night carrying a Bible. There's nothing wrong with those things. It's just a pretty shallow measure a really shallow measure of what full devotion to Jesus looks like. It's an external, but i got to tell you, I knew lots of people that carried their Bible, did Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and weren't living a word of the Word of God. They were completely distant from the Word of God. This is not, it's not somehow magic that I carry this to church on Sunday morning. We can't be so shallow to look around and say, oh, that person isn't as deep into the Word of God because they're not carrying their Bible. Here's the truth of the matter. These days, I carry around about 80 versions of the Bible everywhere I go, right? Every, I, when, I, when I go to Nate's church, I don't get to sit in church very often, but when I go to Nate's church, I've got this thing out, and I'm looking at the passage in different versions. I'm seeing what's going on. It, it, you know, just, it's, it's amazing to be able to have all of the Bible right here, let alone the fact that you've got the Scripture up here on the screen. You know, you go back to the time of Jesus. We're into what would Jesus do? What did Jesus do when it came to the Bible and going to the synagogue? Nobody carried. Nobody carried a Bible. You walked into the synagogue, and there was a scroll available. And it wasn't even a scroll of the whole Old Testament. It was a scroll of a book of the Bible, and very often just a portion of a book of the Bible. And it would rotate between synagogues. So you would get some time with a passage of Scripture for a while, and then it would rotate to another place. And so what that prompts is, is a lot of people memorizing the Word of God. You want to give us a ding? We don't memorize the Word of God enough. We need to hide the Word of God in our hearts. Now, here's the one thing I've found about using this as my Bible. Admission. I get distracted, right? I'm, I'm looking at this thing in my Bible, and, and, and I'm looking at this version and that version. And be, I'm not kidding. The last time I had church with Nate, I'm looking at these things. The pastor says something. I want to Google it to find out if what he says is true. And then I want to text somebody and say, can you believe what this guy just said? This, this thing can be evil beyond compare. I'm really into analog, okay? <laughs> I, I like carrying this. I really do because I can't do all that stuff with this. It really helps. The one great advantage of having a Bible with us in church, whether it is the analog Word of God, the digital Word of God, is that we get to see the whole of what that person is talking about that day. It would be very easy for me to select a few verses and say, this is what the Bible says. And, and, and you get the chance to look at the broader context and determine, is that what it really said? I will say as well, if you're taking the time to do that during a message, a lot of times you've missed about four or five paragraphs, and before you know it, you're not sure what in the world that guy was talking about anyway. And so you get the chance to go home and dig into the Word of God and find out what it says. Let's not be so shallow to judge each other as to whether or not we're carrying a paper Bible to church. At the same time, I want to commend it to you. I think it's a great thing to have the paper Bible in front of you. Uh, some of, for me, I have to take notes. If I'm not taking notes, boop, 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 I'm thinking about everything else under the sun. So it's good to be doing some writing and have that going as well. Whatever it is, we want to be devoted to biblical teaching, taking in what the Word of God has to say. Now that next word is fellowship. There was a devotion to fellowship. And I want to show you something. I hope it's big enough. I hope that you can catch what's going on here. 
This is really cool. Kim asked about this just a couple weeks ago. On Bible Gateway, you can go to a version of the Bible called the Mounts Reverse Interliterary New Testament. You're saying, wait, what? Mounts is the guy that, that, that wrote, wrote this particular version of the Bible. And what they've done, they've taken the English Bible and place the English Bible there, and then they put the Greek words underneath the English Bible. So, so you can kind of break down sometimes and see, you know, oh my goodness, apostle, apostolos. Those two things look the same, that sort of thing. But, but this particular verse, it looks like a Santa Claus verse, right? Ho, 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 ho. What's, ho, 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 ho. What, what's going on there? What is all, what's all the ho-ho-ho going on? I mean, and, and when you look up above, I actually have it for you in Greek. So uh, that letter, it's the letter O with an apostrophe above it. Of, above it. What's going on there? That's, that's a Greek definitive article. You're like, huh? Definitive article is the word the. The. You know, you have, you have the ability to say, for example, go get an apple. okay. You go get the bushel, and you pick one. Or go get the apple. Which one are you talking about? So there's a difference between just generally a bunch of apples and specifically and at the apple. Well, here's what's strange about this passage, and it's not necessarily translated well in our New Testament. This says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to the fellowship. They devoted themselves to the breaking of the bread, and they devoted themselves to the prayers. All of them are definitive articles. It doesn't just say they devoted themselves to fellowship, but they devoted themselves to a specific fellowship. When we hear fellowship in the modern context, we tend to think parties and potlucks. We've got a fellowship hall, a place to go hang out and, and eat together. It's all about the eating. But, but they were saying, no, there's to be a devotion to the fellowship. The fellowship was actually the community of believers. They were devoted to each other. They were devoted to being in relationship together. i got to say, honestly, one of the struggles I have with the whole concept of I can do church solely on video, you can't do church solely on video. You can't. This is church. This is church. We need each other. We need to be together. Together is what, is what grows us in Christ. So when you're looking at the fellowship, we, we translate that into spiritual relationships. In your life, you need some spiritual relationships. Now, I gotta admit, I have kind of an allergy to the word spiritual these days. People are so afraid of the word religion and religious that they put spiritual on everything. You know, there are some people for whom the carpet is spiritual. Everything is spiritual, 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 spiritual. So I want to be careful because, in a sense, somebody could say, well, anything and everything is spiritual. Now, what we're talking about is we need to be devoted to the kind of relationships that grow me in Jesus. They push me toward Christ-likeness. They're those, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another kind of relationships. It's the kind of person that if I call them for advice, I know I'm going to get biblical advice. It might even be something I don't want to hear. It might be the exact opposite. I'm not just looking for somebody that's going to reinforce the evil I'm about to do. I'm looking for someone who will say, this is what the Bible says. 
And, and they're going to they're gonna move me toward transformation. So it's a, it's a transformative relationship. It's one that's pushing me and challenging me toward Christ-likeness. And I'm not talking about an abrasive sort of, you should be doing this or else. No, I'm just saying people who love each other enough to tell each other the truth. We need to love each other enough to tell each other the truth. There are a lot of lies in our society right now. A lot of lies. And we think somehow we're being loving to people by withholding the truth from them. That's not love. That's not love at all. Spiritual relationships challenge people, challenge each other with the Word of God. The third is the breaking of bread, or the breaking of the bread. It was a very specific reference to communion, that they were taking time on a regular basis to gather around the communion table, bread and cup, to remember the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and the implications on their life. We broaden that again to make a reference to the concept of dynamic worship because communion is like, communion is the ultimate moment of worship. It's the ultimate moment to be kneeling at the feet of Jesus and saying, thank you for loving me, setting me free. Thank you for giving your life just for me. Thank you for that. And so we get the privilege to enter into dynamic worship together. Now, dynamic, that word, can be a little misleading because for some of you, you think that's our indirect way of saying, if it's going to be worship, Jason's got to be on the drums. you got to hear some noise. If it's going to be worship, there's got to be a guitar player. If it's going to be worship, you've got to have at least two keyboards and you've got to have a lot of singers up front. This, this thing, remember the old this thing? That's not dynamic worship. That's not the... Hey, I'm sorry, but... I truly believe that you can sing hymns and have dynamic worship. I truly believe that you can be in a liturgical church and have dynamic worship. It's not about the style of the music or the style of the presentation in the morning. Dynamic is really all about this. Is there life there? Is it full of life? Is it life-giving? And if there's life there, and if it's life-giving, God can literally use any style of worship to draw us into his presence. Any style can be used. We're a little narrow and a little dim if we think the only way that we can experience dynamic worship is with a drum. Although it's more dynamic for me, but we'll leave that alone. It's not about the style. The question is, is Jesus here? The question is, when I enter, when I enter into worship, am I aware of the presence of God and the presence of God among his people? That's dynamic worship. That's life-giving worship. And we can all say we've been in contexts where, where we were where we were hunting for a pulse on the worship service. Where we were going, what's going on here? And I gotta tell you, I've been in some modern contemporary churches where I've gone, I don't feel a pulse today. It's not there. Dynamic is about life. Is life present and is it life giving? So they devoted themselves so far to biblical teaching, spiritual relationships, dynamic worship, and then it says they devoted themselves to the prayers, which is not the way our modern English uh, translations stand at all. It would be a little confusing. They devoted themselves to the prayers. What are you talking about? What's going on there? A lot of people believe that they were devoted to, to a pattern of prayer as a church 
that while they were not all gathered at the same time to pray, they were all praying a pattern of prayer, much like Daniel. Morning, noon, and night he prayed, and there was a, there was a praying among God's people that there was, there was a joined heart. It was not just one individual and another individual and another individual praying, but there were these times that the church was actually gathered in prayer together. They were, they were doing the prayers of the church for us, we've taken that word prayer and, and we put the, the adjective prevailing ahead of it. Prevailing prayer. Prevailing prayer is the kind of prayer that Jesus was talking about that knocks and knocks and knocks on the door and does not give up. It doesn't stop. It just keeps going. It keeps going because it knows that prayer is all about communication with God. I think really the, the measure of our prayer comes down to this. As a church, do we think prayer is a first response or a last resort? Do you find yourself in prayer saying, well, if all else fails, pray. I've tried everything else I can do. I guess I could pray. Or do you find you're saying, the first and primary thing God wants me to do is talk to him. The first thing we do is communicate with our Father. How many times have you gotten yourself in trouble because uh, you didn't ask for instructions before you went ahead and did something. We do that all the time, right? We, we decide we're going to go ahead and do something. We'll get this thing done only to find out, oh, there was an important step in there. That if I had just asked, I would have actually been helpful. How many times have we decided we're going to run ahead of God and do what we think needs to be done only for our Father to say, if you'd have actually stopped and asked, we would have actually gotten something done instead of just a flurry of activity. Prevailing prayer. Prayer that is in the presence of God all the time. Prayer that sees praying as a first response and not a last result, resort. Well, you come to that middle section, there's all this great activity going on. You have the apostles using their spiritual gifts. You have people selling things and, and doing what they can to make sure there aren't needs among the people. I love this. They're meeting together all the time in the temple courts. There they are in the Jewish temple worshiping Jesus together as a group of people. They're meeting together in their homes with glad and sincere hearts, just enjoying being with each other. They shared life together. We, we use the term generous participation to describe this, that everybody was a participant in the life of the body. You didn't have people on the sidelines simply observing, checking out what was going on. Oh, that's really nice. Please don't ask me. Don't get me involved. I, I just, I'm in and out. Don't, I don't need any attachments. No, there was a participation, and it was a generous participation. We see the generous participation here of using gifts. They weren't hoarding their gifts. They were using the gifts God gave them. There was generous participation in terms of their treasure. They were sharing with each other. There was generous participation with their time, probably the commodity that is tightest for most of us these days. How in the world do I find the time to meet together daily in the temple courts and to spend time in homes together? Oh my word, my, my time budget just does not have that much margin, right? And yet here they were being generous with their time with each other because they knew that growth ultimately happens through relationship. It doesn't happen through just watching a sermon. It happens through relationship. And then we come to the end, it says, the Lord added daily those who are being saved. I want you to catch this piece. It says, praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people. This doesn't mean that the whole church was going, man, those leaders are doing a great job. We, we love our church, it's the best in town. It's not, 
all the people was not all the people of the church. It was all the people of Jerusalem. It was all the people of the town. The Jewish people were going, these Christians have something going over there. I love what I'm seeing. I don't agree with the word they're saying, but I love what I'm seeing. I love what I'm seeing happening there. And the word we use there is compelling community. Compelling community. That ultimately what we're, we're doing here is supposed to be spreading out beyond us. It's supposed to be moving beyond us to the lost world. And it's compelling. It's winsome. It's attractive. I really believe in this past year, year and a half, the way this body of believers has dealt with all the calamity around us in the world has been compelling. There have been people who have come here who have said, I was looking for this. I needed this. And I thought I was all alone. And they came to be a part of what you were doing because you were living your faith. You were living your trust in Christ in a compelling way. Not an in-your-face abrasive way, but a compelling way that won people's hearts over. God is constantly calling us to be that kind of community, a compelling community where people are saying, I want to, I need to be a part of that. Now, you take these six things, and I like to think of them this way. I don't own an old wooden bucket, but I've seen them on TV. Old wooden bucket made of wooden slats. And it's got a metal band around it, maybe two metal bands around it, and you go out to the well, and you fill up your bucket and you take it in so, so Ma can make some biscuits and gravy. Anyway, so you got your wooden bucket, and, and, and it's got these slats. And let's say the slats are, are 12 inches high. And all the way around, in, in our particular case, the bucket has six slats. And ideally, they're 12 inches high. If you have 12-inch high slats on your bucket, you can carry in 12 inches of water. Isn't that amazing? Wow, my math teacher daughter is not here today, and I figured that out all on my own. But let's say one of those slats is only three inches high. If all the others are 12 inches high, how many inches of water are you going to carry into the house? Three, probably two and a half by the time you do some walking. You're only going to be as strong as your shortest slat. And I wonder sometimes if our disciple-making is only as strong as our shortest slat. We can be great in biblical teaching. We can be great in compelling community. But if we're, but if we're weak in prayer or weak in, in being together, what does that do to the process? And so I think we need to be constantly asking ourselves and challenging ourselves and saying, where's the weakest place right now? And what do we need to do to shore that up, to take it from three inches to six and maybe even eight, and finally 12 to make sure that we're making all the disciples that Christ calls us to make? Father, I pray that as we look at what it means to be the church of Jesus Christ, not just a church on the street, not just a religious country club, but as we look at what it really means to be the church of Jesus Christ, as we look at what it means to make disciples, as we look at what it means to, to live out an Acts 2 model, I pray that we would not simply look at it from the standpoint of an ideal and say, wow, that's really nice, but that we would take on the challenge. We would constantly take on the challenge of living out this pattern. We know, we know that 140 years doesn't just happen. 
And God, we know that another 140 years aren't going to just happen if we're not living out and fulfilling your purpose and your process for your church. We love you and we thank you for giving us the privilege of bringing people safely home to God, of growing them in their faith, of one day being able to worship together around the feet of Jesus in heaven. Thank you for all of these privileges. And we pray them in your name, Jesus. Amen. We've reflected on your final words as you left this earth. You reminded us what we were supposed to be doing. Making disciples, going, baptizing, teaching to obey. But the final of your final words was a reminder. You're never alone. You are never alone. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Whatever challenge we faced last week, whatever challenge we face in the week to come, we are never, ever, ever alone. I'm grateful for this incredibly physical picture in the Old Testament of three people going through the ultimate life challenge of being literally cast into a furnace. Their life was over apart from your intervention. And it isn't that you simply saved them from the fire, but you made them aware of your presence in the fire. God, we need that. We need a constant awareness of your presence in the fire. And wherever we are, I know I will never be alone. Let us carry that truth and that reality with us every step of the coming week. In Jesus' name, amen.